Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper in Washington. Right now, there are more than 650,000 650,000 confirmed coronavirus cases here in the United States. Nearly 31,000 people in the U.S. have lost their lives. That's double the death toll from just one week ago. Worldwide, more than 2.1 million have been infected, with the global death toll now topping 140,000. We're told President Trump will deliver new guidelines for states to begin to open up their societies and their economies and potentially ease social and physical distancing restrictions. We have some brand new reporting. Moments ago, President Trump, in a phone conversation with governors, said that they, the governors, will call the shots, according to a person familiar with the call. The president also said that the May 1st date to reopen came in consultation with Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks of his coronavirus task force. Dr. Deborah Burks says that at least nine states, Nebraska, Maine, Vermont, Hawaii, Montana, North Dakota, Alaska, Wyoming, and West Virginia currently have fewer than 1,000 cases each and could begin reopening. Of course, these are among the least populated states in the U.S., though top health officials, business leaders, and some governors are warning President Trump that testing capacity is nowhere close to where it needs to be to safely and securely to begin to send Americans back to work, school, and society on a much larger scale. Let's go straight to CNN's Caitlin Collins at the White House. And Caitlin, President Trump also just told governors that his May 1st goal was a negotiation with the top doctors. Yeah, he says it came in consultation with them. We're still waiting on a little context of what this negotiation was and if it means that they weren't in agreement with that. We know that we, based on our own reporting over the last few weeks, that they had been hesitant about that May 1 deadline. But the president is saying he consulted with Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci, and the CDC director, Dr. Ro- Dr. Redfield, as well as he was establishing these new guidelines. And they gave the governors this packet here. We're still going through it with all the guidelines of exactly what this is going to look like. And he says this is what he's going to announce later tonight formally at that press briefing. But, Jake, what he told uh, these governors on this call, according to a source who had access to it, what they told our colleague Ryan Nobles, was the president was talking about this phased reopening of the country, reiterating that idea that he believes there are some states that can start to open before that May 1 deadline, saying that they should feel comfortable to do so based on their own data if they do, though he did acknowledge that there are some states that are not going to be ready to do it by then. So the question really is, how do these states take this? Because a lot of them, as you've seen play out today, have already started establishing their own reopening phases, their guide, their own guidelines for that. And that's not just those states on the West Coast or the East Coast. We also saw some Midwest, Midwest states join up today to make their own partnership for how they're going to coordinate this rollout. Though the president did say you are going to call your own shots based on the source who had access to the call. That's notable, given what the president has been saying about how he has the authority to determine what these states are going to do. And if he doesn't like what they're doing, he can close it down, he said. 
And Caitlin, President Trump also spoke to senators earlier today about his plans to call for a reopening of the country. And he pushed back when senators called for more thorough, widespread testing. Yeah, this was the second day in a row the president has heard the same concern. Yesterday it was from business executives. Today it's from a bipartisan group of senators who were saying they are worried about the lack of testing in the country. They want it to be ramped up before the country and their states are going to start reopening. And we're told by sources the president pushed back on that, talking about how they had actually increased testing in the U.S., which we know because it was pretty abysmal at the beginning. So they have ramped it up since then. But the question is, is it adequate enough to start opening up these states? And Business executives yesterday were saying that they want it to be higher if they're going to feel comfortable opening their stores to consumers and if consumers feel comfortable going in. So it's not clear that the president is heeding those calls yet. That is something that has been a persistent message to him, though, Jake, this week. Yeah, I don't know of any governors who think that testing is widespread enough and that it's up to speed where they need to be. Kaylin Collins, thanks so much. New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo made clear today that his state, in his view, is not ready to reopen, extending the stay-at-home order until at least May 15th, as CNN's Erica Hill reports for us now. If we had gone after the testing agents a few months ago, we'd be in a very different position than we are today. I can't simply wait for um, the federal government's guidance, but I'll listen when it comes. Testing critical for any move forward. Minnesota's governor wants to test 5,000 people a day before considering any substantial reopening. In New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo calling for the federal government to step up while also offering insight into how he'll determine when businesses can reopen. This is not just government deciding. It's government deciding with private businesses who now have to take a look at this new normal, this new reality, and tell us how they think they can adjust to it. Uh, One of our questions and evaluations is, How essential is that business service? As the president promises new guidelines, states continue with their own. New mandates in New York, Connecticut, Maryland, and Pennsylvania for face coverings, extensions for social distancing, but current orders elsewhere meeting some pushback. Protesters on the streets in Ohio, Kentucky, North Carolina, and Michigan, which has some of the most strict stay-at-home measures. The fact of the matter is it's still too dangerous to have people just out and about uh, unnecessarily. Michigan's governor warning those protesting could fuel the spread, forcing the order to stay in place longer. Oklahoma's governor extending stay-at-home measures for the most vulnerable populations through May 6th, while also looking to reopen. While we need to keep up our guard, we are looking and we are working on a plan to safely open up the state. Nine states currently have less than a thousand cases. In other areas, new concern of a resurgence. Rhode Island and Providence are in a unique situation. First, they had increasing cases from the New York City area, and now they have new new increasing cases from the Boston area. They're caught between to incredible hot spots in the country. Massachusetts setting aside $130 million for long-term care facilities, while in New Jersey, overwhelmed staff and a morgue well over capacity at this nursing home, where 17 bodies were found in a facility that has space for just four. And at Arlington National Cemetery, members of the Old Guard conducting military funeral honors with masks. A soldier lowers his at a safe distance to offer condolences. The cemetery noting in a post, 
we adapt and keep to our mission. how much things have changed around the country. Jake, uh, one other note, too, on what's happening with governors. Seven Midwestern states today announcing they will collaborate with one another to reopen businesses in their areas. Those include Kentucky, Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ohio. All right, Erica Hill in New York. Stay safe, my friend. Uh, Joining me now is CNN chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay uh, Gupta, Sanjay, I want to start uh, with a clip okay. from um, Dr. Oz on, on Fox. He was uh, talking about the trade-offs that need to happen uh, in order for the U.S. to try to go back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, uh, take a listen mm-hmm. to, to this little clip, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Okay. Let's start with things that are really critical to the nation where we think we might be able to open without getting into a lot of trouble. I tell you, schools are a very appetizing opportunity. Uh, I just saw a nice piece in the Lancet arguing that the opening of schools may only cost us two to three percent in terms of total mortality. And, you know, that's any life is a life loss. But to get every child back into a school where they're safely being educated, being fed uh, and making the most out of their lives with a theoretical risk in the backside, uh, it might be a trade off some folks would consider. All right. So Dr. Oz is basically saying there, I don't think he was referring to, because I looked at the Lancet, and I, I don't think he's saying, talking about uh, 2 to 3% mortality uh, for the entire country, which would, of course, be millions and millions of people. I think he's talking about this one Lancet study that talked about how the redu- that, that uh, closing schools only reduced deaths 2 to 4%. But that's still, that's theoretically, right. thousands of lives. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a uh, a trade-off that 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 he's describing. It's a tough trade-off. I think a lot of people first heard that and probably interpreted him as thinking two to three percent of either the country or even children's lives. You know, fifty-six million people, uh, kids rather, are in schools. I think that you know the better way to sort of I think this is what he meant. I haven't talked to him, but you know, the model suggests that maybe some sixty thousand people will lose their lives, sadly, to this uh, disease. Uh, how much are we gaining by the various measures that we're putting in place? Uh, the closing of schools, they say, may be contributing only to 2 to 3% of that. So that, as you point out, Jake, would be about um, 1,200 to 1,800 people, potentially. Again, not children, but people within the country. Every life is, is a life, you know, and, and, you know, what is the trade-off in terms of starting to reopen things? I, it's, it, that's a big one. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, that was the data that came out of Lancet. I'm sure Dr. Oz thought about that before he said that, but that is obviously a big one. But these are the questions that are going to have to be decided. If when we reopen, Jake, I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where we say, okay, we are absolutely free and clear. We can guarantee that no one will get infected, no one will get sick, and no one might sadly die from this after we reopen. The virus is still out there. It's still circulating. Until we have a vaccine, I think, you know, that's, that's going to be the, the, these constant trade-offs that we're making. Right, but it does seem to a lot of experts that I've spoken with uh, that... The United States, for the most part, uh, citizens, governors, et cetera, President Trump uh, pushing for it as well in terms of the social distancing guidelines, uh, staying at home in some places, uh, and that it has been to a degree successful. The curve is being flattened. Um, But that doesn't mean, according to these health experts, that all of a sudden we say, okay, it's worked. We've we've, uh, avoided the worst and we rush back to work because... We still don't have the testing capacity. And if all of a sudden we just willy-nilly, as Dr. Fauci says, flip the switch and go back to normal, then the number is just going to surge again. 
Th th that's absolutely right. I mean, th th that's the thing. I think people, sometimes it's hard to, to prove a negative, Jake. I mean, we, we see these numbers of people who are, who are likely to die, you know, in the models, what they suggest, and it's tragic. But to your point, without, without these measures, things that we are going through in this country that we've never experienced before as a society, they've had an impact. I mean, the initial model suggested, look, 40 to, 70, uh, 40 to 60% of the country could become infected, 150 million people plus. Uh, and, you know, the, the fatality rate, you know, uh, even if it was closer to 1%, which some suggested it might be, you know, you're starting to talk about, you know, millions of people, a million and a half people that would have died. Now we're talking about 60,000. It's still, you know, a, a staggering number of people. But these measures are largely what done it. We don't have a therapeutic. We don't have a vaccine. So why did the numbers drop like this from, you know, in the millions to in the tens of thousands? It's because of these measures. And now as we think about reopening, we're gonna have to say, how much did this play a part in reducing that? How much did closing schools play a part of that? How much did closing large venues play a part in that? How much did you know, closing these businesses play a part in that? And all of those are gonna have to be analyzed and they're gonna be evaluated probably as part of you know, any discussion of reopening along with many other things. But that's, that's, that's you're absolutely right. That is the, the, I'm sure the decision matrix that is happening right now. So we just got uh, hot off the presses of my uh, inkjet printer right here at home, uh, the Opening Up America Again uh, document. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this in real time, Sanjay. Phase one says that all vulnerable individuals should remain in place. Uh, all individuals in public uh, should maintain physical distance. Avoid socializing in groups of more than 10 people. Minimize non-essential travel. Uh, and then, obviously, there's a phase two and a phase three. W what do you make of that for phase one? Basically, that gets us to where we were before people started doing stay-at-home orders. Yeah, th I, I think I, I read part of this as well. And I think, you know, what they also have in there as part of phase one is that we have to show, I believe this is correct, Jake, uh, 14 days of sustained decrease in overall numbers of people who are infected with the virus uh, they have to make sure hospitals are at the capacity of pre-crisis levels. They have to have adequate personal protective uh, equipment. And my understanding, again, in that phase one, at least schools stay closed that are already closed as well. A lot of that fits with, you know, I think in some ways with what um, Dr. Fauci uh, has been saying and others have been saying. There are triggers, I guess, is, is the point for this phase one to take place. And those triggers, I think, are almost more important than what phase one looks like because we got to activate those triggers. Oh, in addition to that, they got to have testing. That was another one of the triggers. Testing, they, sh they said in this, interestingly, should be administered by the states, should be safe and efficient. What does that mean? That means, uh, for example, you, Jake, if you were going into work, starting to go back to work, that you could be tested maybe even every day or on a regular basis and get a result back very, very quickly. That's probably what that means. You know, right now, there's a lot of people who you know, probably should be tested, have no idea how to go about getting tested, that would absolutely have to change in order to go into phase one as well from what, what I'm reading of these documents. We'll get a little bit more clarity on that. Yeah, I, I guess the other question I have, because I don't, and again, I apologize, and we're just getting this document, but I don't see anything about we're going to do this now because we are up to speed and we are able to do contact tracing, we are able to do widespread testing uh, as they did in South Korea, et cetera. I don't see that as part of that. And since we keep hearing from experts like Dr. Fauci and governors who are driven by their own health commissioners who say, we need to be able to do testing so we know who has it and we can immediately isolate individuals, 
Um, I don't understand a, a, an opening up America again plan that, that doesn't have a testing component. Do you? No, I, I don't. And, and I don't think any of the public health officials uh, think so either. And I don't think they've ever wavered on that, despite how their comments, you know, have been uh, taken or how they've sort of presented things so as to not shock people. I think as we hear what people say about this reopening phase, everyone's going to pay attention to what a post reopened America looks like. Obviously, that's important. I think what I'm going to really be paying attention to this evening as I listen are what are the triggers to get there? Because I think that's where the public health officials have sort of added their imprint on this. Yes, we want the country to be reopened as well. We agree, but here are the triggers. 14 days of sustained decreased spread. Testing, as you just mentioned, Jake, safe and efficient, administered by the states, I think is what uh, that document says. So that has to be really, really widely available on a practical level. Not just the numbers, because we could say we have 10 million tests, but if there's still entire states or entire communities that don't have those tests, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter in terms of getting those places open. It has to be widely available. No one is saying 325 million people need to be tested. That would be impractical. It has to be widely available to, go, to get an understanding of where the virus is and how it can be best contained. And it does, I, I should clarify what I meant. It does mention testing in this document. It just says testing and contact tracing, ability to quickly set up safe and efficient screening and testing sites, ability to test uh, people for COVID and trace contacts, uh, ensure uh, Sentinel surveillance sites are screening for asymptomatic cases, which is, it all makes sense, but the states, most of the states are not up to capacity for this. They are not up to capacity. And, you know, we t- I talked to several people in leadership positions in various states and, you know, they give me the reality of what is possible. It's improving, but it's not there. I mean, that's how they characterize it. It's not there. It's not there in some places. It is there in other places. It has to be there in all places. So, you know, I, I think that that this document, uh, the, the big shiny object is going to be, again, understandably what America looks like after we reopen but it's those triggers that are in there that I think are really important. The one thing I think is going to be a back and forth is whose, whose responsibility is it really uh, to make sure the testing is widely available in an efficient and safe way? In that document, Jake, and we'll get more clarity again, but it says that's really up to the states administering those safe and efficient exactly. testings and screenings. So what we'll see. Yep. I mean, states, four states, four state said, preparedness know, responsibilities. Yeah. Some states don't have the ability to do that right now, and I think that's what we're hearing. Some do. Some don't. So how are they going to do it? All right, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thanks so much. Uh, And be sure to tune in to Sanjay's uh, uh, Coronavirus Facts and Fears CNN Global Town Hall this evening, hosted by Sanjay and Anderson Cooper. Their guests will include the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, uh, Dr. Deborah Burks of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, and Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Dr. Priscilla Chan, on their initiative to fight the the virus. That's tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern right here on CNN. Coming up, it's a key test that could tell you if you have immunity from the virus, but not every antibody test is created equal, why that could put people's lives at risk. Plus, presidential advisor and first daughter Ivanka Trump apparently ignoring her own advice to other Americans to stay home. Stay with us. The Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, has just authorized its fourth antibody test for emergency use. But since those tests are not for the general public, a new market of non-FDA-approved antibody tests is developing. Some 70 different types 
of antibody tests are being sold without approved research backing their validity. The former head of the CDC calling many of these non-approved tests, quote, junk. CNN's Drew Griffin investigates. It is the one test that could tell you whether you're safe to leave the house. The antibody test, a finger prick test for people without symptoms to determine if your blood carries the antibodies of COVID-19, meaning you've been exposed to the virus at some point and now potentially immune. How immune? We just don't know. We still have a lot to learn about what having antibodies means. Does it mean that you're immune? Can people be reinfected? How long will immunity last? At least 70 antibody tests have been developed by companies or hospitals taking advantage of relaxed FDA rules during the coronavirus crisis. But without the FDA certifying the tests, there's no way to know which ones work, leading to companies to use lists of fine print, including positive results may be due to past or present infection with other viruses. One sign of the confusion, Dr. Allison Fox bought 200 tests for her practice in New Jersey, only to be told by the New Jersey Health Department, do not offer any COVID-19 tests to your patients. It's incredibly frustrating. It, it's, it doesn't make sense to me at all. The FDA is now trying to straighten the mess that has been what one testing official called the wild, wild west of antibody marketed tests. The National Cancer Institute and its serum testing lab has been drafted to determine which tests work, which do not. That is key, says Dr. Anya Weinberg, who heads up the testing program at New York's Mount Sinai Hospital, which was just given emergency use authorization. So it's incredibly important that as we learn more and use these tests to um, develop our plans and policies to reopen society, that we can rely on the results we're being given. The FDA has given emergency use authorization to four antibody tests, but the very first company to get it hasn't been able to get its tests into the United States. Celex telling CNN Chinese export rules have prevented them from shipping their antibody tests to the U.S. so far, but they hope and expect that this issue will be resolved very soon. Why so important to have widespread antibody testing and make sure they work? Two big reasons, says Harvard epidemiologist Caroline Bucky. So the first thing is just to work out how many people have been infected, whether we're close to the epidemic peak or whether we have a long way to go. And the second involves what's known as herd immunity. If having the virus and recovering means we won't get it again, and enough of us have had the coronavirus and now carry that immunity, then a large percentage of us, of the herd, won't be able to spread it. We don't need everybody in the population to be immune to the virus. We just need enough people to be immune that the virus can't start to spread again and take off exponentially. That's why it's so important for this next batch of testing to be widely available, easily reportable, and above all, accurate. And Jake, the National uh, Cancer Institute is really racing through this process, trying to get the information to the FDA as soon as possible. They tell me within a week they could be through all the tests that they have to do for this first batch. All right, Drew Griffin in Atlanta, thank you so much. Joining me now to discuss is Dr. Lisa Dabby. She's an emergency medicine physician at UCLA Health. Dr. Dabby, uh, good to see you. I want to start with some breaking news. You have not seen this yet, but CNN just obtained uh, the booklet being distributed to governors from the Trump administration ahead of the president's announcement this evening on steps to begin to reopen society and the economy. It does not outline any sort of federal plan for for testing, instead leaving it to the states 
to figure out. It does say that states need to have the ability uh, to quickly set up safe and efficient screening and testing sites for symptomatic individuals to uh, test individuals uh, for COVID and trace contacts and to ensure sentinel surveillance sites are screening for asymptomatic cases. Um, Are states there or are states ready for that? So, Jake, I can answer about Los Angeles. Um, We are very lucky at UCLA. We're doing our own in-house testing. And so we are able to do a turnaround time of about three hours from getting the specimen to getting the results. Now, I will say that we are definitely the exception and not the norm in L.A. County right now. My colleagues at other hospitals are very limited in the amount of testing they can do. Uh, One colleague can only run, even though they have the Abbott machine, which has a 15-minute turnaround, they can only do 100 tests in a week because they only have that many swabs. Another colleague at an East L.A. hospital can only run 15 a day. 15 a day because they don't have swabs and they don't have the medium to transport the swabs. So they're turning around hundreds of people every day with symptoms who they can't test because they don't have the materials that they need to perform the tests. And even worse than that is the outpatient testing through the city of Los Angeles. The outpatient testing turnaround time right now is anywhere from seven to nine days to get your results. So by the time you get your results of your test, you're either better and done with the virus or you're much sicker and you're already in the hospital. So we really need to work in Los Angeles and California on increasing the ability to test everybody on a more timely manner. Yeah, and California has been one of the states that's been heralded for being ahead of the curve on this. Um, Let me ask you about the piece that Drew just did um, about the FDA-approved antibody tests um, and the ones that aren't FDA-approved. Do you use the FDA-approved antibody tests, and how might they be used to get us out of this crisis? So we are rolling out uh, FDA-approved antibody testing at UCLA. I would just take a minute to caution people to not use the unapproved tests. I think it's really dangerous to use a test that's not accurate. If you take a test and get a result that you have antibody and you don't really have antibody, then you can be putting yourself in harm's way because you're falsely believing that you have immunity. Now, having said that, if we use a good, accurate test, it can be really useful. To know that people have antibody allows us to kind of let down our guard a little bit as we send them back out into the community. And to know how many people in our community have been affected will be really useful in terms of opening things back up. And Dr. Dabby, you're enrolled in a study that looks at uh, the exposure to coronavirus among healthcare workers. Tell us about that. How does that work? So I just started the study yesterday, and I'm going to be screened twice a month, um, both tested for COVID and also tested for antibody. And what the researchers at UCLA are trying to understand is um, how many of our healthcare workers have already been exposed, uh, how many of our healthcare workers potentially have the virus and don't have any symptoms. Um, I'm really excited to be in this study, uh, A, to be able to help to contribute to scientific research, and B, for my own knowledge. Um, It's going to be a game changer for me if I know that I have antibodies. Um, it'll relax my guard around being around my parents because I know if I have some immunity, I hopefully can't pass anything along to them. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Lisa Dabby. And thank you for the work that you and the healthcare workers around the country are doing. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. While the Trump administration is now focusing on a claim that the virus uh, originated in a lab in China, we're going to take a look at just some of the deceptions that we've heard from Chinese officials about the virus. Stay with us. Health officials around the world say that there's no question the coronavirus outbreak began in China. But today, 
U.S. intelligence and national security officials say they're investigating the possibility the virus spread from a Chinese laboratory and not, as originally believed, from a market in Wuhan, which is what the Chinese government originally claimed. U.S. officials do not say they believe the virus was spread intentionally or purposefully in any way, but they are looking into whether it originated from the lab and then spread accidentally. It is, of course, premature to draw any conclusions, but the Chinese government's lack of transparency and its sharing of erroneous information, not to mention its cover-up, has certainly not inspired confidence among world leaders. Today, the UK also called for a, quote, deep-dive review of the Chinese government's early handling of the pandemic. CNN's David Culver reports from Shanghai. At the start of the outbreak, this is where China directed the world's attention, suggesting that this Wuhan seafood market was the source of the novel coronavirus outbreak. CNN even traveled there just before the city locked down in January. Officials had shut down the wet market, and security told us to leave. U.S. intelligence officials tell CNN they are investigating another possible source, suggesting the virus may not have originated naturally as China has advertised, but rather that it possibly started in a Wuhan lab. Sources say it is one of many origin theories the U.S. is looking into. Chinese officials pushing back against that claim on Thursday. The foreign ministry spokesperson dismissing that the virus started in a lab, instead stressing that, quote, this is a scientific issue that should be studied by scientists and medical experts. Yet it is the same spokesperson who last month floated a controversial theory, tweeting that it might be the U.S. Army who brought the epidemic to Wuhan. China tried to say at one point, maybe they stopped now, that it was caused by American soldiers. That can't happen. It's not going to happen. Not as long as I'm president. Uh, It comes from China. The latest debate over the virus's actual origin coincides with a damning Associated Press report. It claims China sat on critical information for six full days, from January 14th until January 20th, downplaying the outbreak in public before finally revealing the full scope of the threat. The AP report is based on what they characterize as a memo from a January 14th confidential teleconference involving the head of China's National Health Commission. CNN has combed through the government's public report of that teleconference, which was released more than a month after it took place. It says a, quote, sober understanding of the situation was made known to top Chinese government officials, adding that, quote, clustered cases suggest that human-to-human transmission is possible. But that was not the message shared publicly from health officials at the time. In fact, as hundreds of millions traveled leading up to the Lunar New Year holiday, mass gatherings at airports and railway stations, the Wuhan Health Commission maintained that the outbreak was controllable and preventable and that this was not contagious. It was not until January 20th that leading health officials acknowledged publicly cases of human-to-human transmission. And they even stated that medical personnel had gotten infected. CNN spoke with one of the doctors who early on tried to sound the alarm and contracted the illness. <laughs> Wuhan ophthalmologist Dr. Li Wenliang was reprimanded in early January by Wuhan police. They accused the 34-year-old of spreading rumors after he had messaged friends, warning them of a SARS-like illness going around. Instead of listening to his warning, police silenced Dr. Li and other whistleblowers. He died of coronavirus in early February. CNN's early reporting also highlighted an underreporting of cases. Wuhan residents telling us that their loved ones were never tested, 
despite suffering from coronavirus-like symptoms. Instead, their deaths listed as severe pneumonia. Whether it was intentional or due to a lack of testing, for some, China's reported numbers of coronavirus cases and deaths does not add up. The mere fact that we don't know the answers, that China hasn't shared the answers, I think is very, very telling. China's repeatedly maintained that they have been open and forthcoming in their handling of this outbreak. On Wednesday, China's foreign ministry said that in an open, transparent and responsible manner, China has kept the WHO and relevant countries updated on the outbreak. But Jake, if the early cover-up and the mishandling at the local level was in fact known by top officials here, their delayed action might overshadow the massive containment effort that China so proudly promotes. David, great reporting. Stay with us. I want to bring in CNN's Kylie Atwood, uh, who comes to us from the State Department. She's our State Department reporter. And Kylie, let's play a little bit more of that clip of Secretary of State Pompeo uh, last night uh, on Fox. The mere fact that we don't know the answers, that China hasn't shared the answers, I think is very, very telling. We really need the Chinese government to open up. They say they want to cooperate. One of the best ways they could find to cooperate would be to to let the world in, to let uh, the world's scientists know exactly how this came to be, exactly how this virus began to spread. Uh, Kylie, obviously, um, President Trump and his administration are reluctant to accept any blame for their handling of the pandemic. But two things can be true at once. The Chinese government mishandling this, covering it up, lying about it, and the Trump administration being too slow to take actions to protect its citizens. Yeah, that is a point worth making, Jake, because it is true. The context in which we are learning that the U.S. government is looking into the possibility that the coronavirus did potentially uh, leak out of a Chinese lab instead of from a wet market has to be considered in the same context of the fact that the Trump administration and Trump's allies have been trying to deflect blame for how they have handled the outbreak of this pandemic in the United States. But the bottom line here is that we do not know what the precise origin of this novel coronavirus really is. And U.S. government officials have told me that they do want to get to the bottom of that. Now, intelligence officials, national security officials are looking into this. The lab is one of the possibilities that they are looking into, but nothing is yet definitive or conclusive about what they have found. And David, from the offset, the Chinese government uh, was silencing whistleblowers, withholding crucial information from the Chinese population, from the international community. We can't even trust the number of cases and deaths being reported by the Chinese government. How are they responding to the U.S. US, uh, saying it's going to investigate this? Yeah, there's a lot of skepticism here, Jake. Well, they're dismissing this as as nonsense. And, And they go back to that line that this is a scientific issue and they say, that they need to leave it to the medical experts, even though some of their own diplomats have theorized about the origins, as we pointed out. Now, China says that the countries ultimately need to band together to win this fight. Sounds great. I, honestly, Jake, I don't think it's feasible. I mean, what we are seeing here are deep-rooted tensions now that are coming out between the U.S. and China. We're seeing an increased distrust uh, of foreigners here, and part of because of, of what health officials here have labeled as imported cases. But there's this intensified blame towards the other. We see that rhetoric on social media, both here in China and in the U.S., and it just makes it seem like you're not going to come to an agreement uh, between the two countries on really anything, let alone coming to an end of this uh, epidemic. And speaking of othering people, we should note that what the Chinese government is guilty of is 
you know, not the same thing as what Chinese people are guilty of. That, that population was victimized more than anyone, right. uh, not even talking about uh, Asian Americans. Uh, Kylie, the Washington Post's Josh Rogan reported on State Department cables from 2018 showing concerns about the safety and management of the Wuhan uh, Institute uh, of Virology Biolab that, that uh, David refers to. What, what do you know about the lab? Well, this is one of China's most advanced labs. It's operated by the Chinese Academy of Sciences. And in 2015, it's worth noting that it was the first Chinese lab to achieve the highest level of international bioresearch safety. But at the same time, what the Washington Post revealed in these cables from State Department officials is that there were concerns about research happening in that lab with regard to coronaviruses and bats. So there were uh, alarms being raised about what was happening there. All right, David, Kylie, thank you so much for your excellent reporting. Appreciate it. Coming up, it seems Ivanka Trump is familiar with the phrase, do as I say, not as I do. Why is this family different from all other families? That's next. Our money lead now. Today, more hard numbers to showcase the ugly economic reality of today. 5.2 million Americans filed for unemployment for the first time last week. That now makes 22 million out of a job in just the last month, about 13 percent of the American workforce. And keep in mind, those numbers do not include furloughs and pay cuts, adding to widespread economic pain or folks not eligible for unemployment benefits. CNN business anchor Julia Chatterley joins me now to discuss this and more. And Julia, you've looked into the unemployment numbers. What states and what industries are taking the hardest hits? Hey, Jake. Well, it began in restaurants, bars and hotels, as you can imagine, but it's far more broad based now. The healthcare sector, construction, administrative services. What we saw in the last week were claims ramping up in states like Georgia, Arizona and Texas. But we know it's broad based across straits as well that are all struggling at this moment. What we're looking at in the United States now is a potential unemployment rate of 15 percent. That dwarfs anything that we saw during the financial crisis. What we're also looking at potentially is giving up all the job gains that we've seen since then. And we've done it in what just the past four weeks. And the worst news about this is we know states are still struggling to process all of these claims. And we're not yet capturing the gig economy workers, the freelancers, your Uber drivers. That's a potential 23 million more workers. The news is going to get worse, Jake. I wanted to, I've been meaning to ask you, because in the stimulus package that we've been covering, there was a provision tucked into the bill that offers a huge tax break to the nation's wealthiest individuals, especially people who own real estate. Tell us more about this. Let's use New York as an example. When the city that never sleeps, sleeps like it is now, every business, every tenant goes to their landlord and says, I can't pay rent. We saw this happen. It happened a few weeks ago and it continues. What that did was shake the foundations of the real estate market in similar ways to what we saw in the financial crisis. What this tax change does is it allows these real estate players to not pay so much tax now and offset the cash that isn't coming in. In the end, is it a tax change for the 1%? Yes. Does it potentially help players like Donald Trump, like the Kushner family? That's the fear. As a result, does it feel stinky? Yes, it does. But the argument could be made here that it prevented a a bigger collapse that could have had housing and rent implications for many of us. And Julia, you and I have been talking for weeks now about the small business 
loan pro pro mm. uh, program. Uh, today, it officially tapped out. Uh, they don't have any money. Uh, moments ago on the Senate floor, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell blamed Democrats for stalled negotiations, any signs of a deal, uh, given how badly small businesses, businesses need this money. A any hope there? Mitch McConnell also called it an emergency, and I agree with him on that point. The negotiations continue. Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri said, look, he believed that the impasse could be overcome by the next session. That's Monday. He also suggested that the president on a call with senators today said that perhaps money could be found for other things. We've got a timing issue. The Republicans believed that more money was needed for the states and for health care, but they wanted to give it a bit of time. The Democrats want it all to happen now. The hope is that this gap can be bridged because, Jake, this is an emergency for small businesses. And the job claims numbers tells you that more jobs will be lost. More businesses will fail if they can't agree this money now. All right. CNN business anchor Julia Chatterley, as always, thank you so much. Thank President you. Trump's guidelines to avoid discretionary travel apparently did not apply to his daughter and senior advisor Ivanka Trump and her husband senior advisor Jared Kushner. The two, along with their children and Secret Service protection, despite their own admonitions to the rest of us to stay home and stay safe, drove from Washington, D.C. to the Trump property in Bedminster, New Jersey, to celebrate Passover last week. White House official defended the Kushner's trip, saying that the facility in Bedminster is closed down and is considered a family home, and that Ivanka Trump's travel was no different than Going to and from work outside of the populated D.C. area, we should note New Jersey is one of the worst hit states in the nation with 71,000 cases of coronavirus and more than 3,100 deaths. While the United States figures out how and when things will start to reopen, one country just announced they are extending their stay-at-home order. Stay with us. In our world lead today, Singapore, held up by many as an example of how to deal with COVID-19, is now seeing its largest one-day increase in cases, reporting 728 new coronavirus patients just today, most from a cluster of foreign workers in dorms. Last week, the average number of new cases was just 48. Some European cities are seeing dramatic drops in a specific pollutant during this lockdown. Paris seeing a 54% decrease. Madrid, Rome, Milan all seeing around a 45% decrease. The United Kingdom announced today that they will be extending stay-at-home orders until at least May 7th. CNN's Nick Robertson joins me now to discuss. Nick, is there any indication of what it will take for these stay-at-home orders to begin to be lifted? Yeah, Jake, the government's been under a lot of pressure here to, to give an idea of what it will take. And we got the first indication of that today, a five-point plan laid out. Number one, that the health service here can cope, meaning that they've got enough critical care beds. Secondly, that there is a sustained decrease in the number of deaths. Thirdly, that there is reliable data, and I think this is critical as well, that they have reliable data that the number of infections are decreasing. So what they're telling us here is, this is going to be numbers-led. The fourth point, uh, again, that's something the government's come in for a lot of criticism for. The fourth point is that there's enough personal protective equipment, PPE, and critically, tests, enough tests available in the country. This country has been woefully short of tests to detect uh, the presence of the virus. So that's the fourth thing. And the fifth item is um, the piece of greatest concern for the government, that it doesn't do something. It doesn't have a strategy that allows a second wave, a second spike of infections that could come that could overwhelm the health service, Jake. All right, Nick Robertson in London. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. President Trump 
will release his guidelines on attempting to reopen the country, at least to a degree, soon. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Stay healthy. Stay home. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.